This is the You Belong Podcast, a podcast for all photographers where we throw out competition and comparison and instead embrace community and growth. We have the ability to learn from each other, and this podcast does just that. I'm Allison Hatch. Join us each episode because you belong. Hey, everybody. On the very first ever You Belong podcast episode, I am interviewing Fiona Margot. She is an adventure family photographer, mom of two daughters, plus a fluffy puppy, lives in Seattle, has her own podcast, and is a marketing guru. In this episode, Fiona and I talk specifics about marketing for photographers with actionable tips that you need to implement right now. You'll want to take notes with this one. Okay, so let's get to it. Hi, Fiona. Hello, how are you? <laughs> Good, how are you? Doing well. This is so exciting for me. So I don't know if you know this, but I have been following you for years. Back back when you only had a couple thousand followers and you've like exploded since then. And it's been really fun to see your progression and all of your different changes. And I'm so glad that you're on the show to tell us all about it today. So thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Yeah, it's been a very fun couple of years. I've definitely done some transitions, which have been tricky, but also good. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to share with you. All right. So tell us from, let's just start at the beginning briefly. Give us your journey to where you are now. Okay. So I started my business in the last recession <laughs> in 2010. And just kind of built up doing normal family photography. And then I moved into my niche that I do now, which is sort of adventure family photography up in the mountains in the Pacific Northwest. So I'm in Washington near Seattle. And I've been doing that particular niche since 2016. And then a couple years ago, I realized that one of my big passions was marketing. And for whatever reason, I feel like it's totally under discussed in the family photography world. So I'd go to workshops and marketing wouldn't be mentioned at all. And that was kind of what I was struggling with the most. So through my own education, I realized that I could possibly be a resource for other family photographers. So I've since kind of transitioned my business to be about 50% marketing education, which has been really fun. That's awesome. So why, what do you have a background in marketing or what made you feel like that would be a good fit for you? So my degree, which I barely use is oh, yeah, in me psychology. Too. <laughs> um, and so I've always been very fascinated about how people think and why they do things. The first company I started, I was 21 and it was a financial education company called Newlywed University. And we would teach like financial education classes to newlywed couples, which was very fun. Um, we definitely ended some relationships when we had people like pull each other's credit reports. Oh no. <laughs> so anyway, I had to market that business and marketing that business was my favorite part of the business. So that is where I kind of dove into doing events and talking to people. I really focused on in-person networking because that was kind of pre-social media. So when it came time to realize how that I needed to transition my own business a little bit, I found myself back in the seat of needing new eyes on my work. So learning about how people actually connect to brands, how the psychology of the consumer works, I feel like is really vital for us all to know because we can get stuck in patterns that aren't actually helpful, like posting on Instagram and then having the likes and comments 
mean something personally about us. Um, and so then we kind of shut down and our confidence goes down and then we end up not talking about the work that we want to book as much as we should. So that is where it kind of, I thought I can take these concepts that are working really well for other industries and help family photographers gain traction in their niche, whatever it is they're trying to grow. Yeah. It's really interesting being on social media and how it's evolved so much and it's constantly changing. And as artists, we just want to make art, right? Like we're not here with this background like you have of some kind of, you know, understanding how marketing works and things like that. And I recently just did rebranding and it's all about psychology. So you're like, this is a perfect fit for you. Like talking to, I know some people don't love this idea, but your ideal client and putting things out there that appeal to them that also appeal to you and trying to find that mix and that, you know, concentric circle. What do you call that <laughs> when it's right in the middle? Yeah. So um, that's, that's awesome. So what, so you, what have you been working on now with marketing? Um, well, so right now, well, first of all, I have to talk about the ideal client. Do you care if I oh, go on a small tangent No, about please. This? So please this is go. Like the foundation of my thoughts on marketing. Um, so I think that the idea of an ideal client, that's what kind of can trip people up because they think like, okay, I need to identify this person who likes the art I create instead of identifying the art you like to create and attracting people to it. So it's this sort of mindset shift where you're not chasing a person. And I came to this realization when someone asked me, who is your ideal client? So I thought back on the last year and I thought like, okay, if I took five of my ideal clients, which to me is someone who books with me, trusts my processes, loves the result, there's no like back and forth. I sat them all at a table. They would really have nothing in common that I could identify and pick out and chase per se to get their eyes on my business, except that they know, like, and trust me as an artist. And so I think that can really help family photographers to swing the focus back to creating more consistent work and drawing people into the brand instead of trying to identify who it is that might like that work. So whenever I hear the ideal client, I always just have to pop in with that because mm -hmm. it caused me months of confusion. Like I was making these charts and being like, okay, they do this, they shop here, they look like this. And I was like, no, they don't. I'm, I, I was just very confused in my own head. So that sort of mindset shift can be really helpful where you can actually swing the focus back around to your own artistry and drawing people into that. So in terms of what I'm doing now, so I have my own podcast where I ramble on about marketing things every week. Love it. It has been really fun. Um, and then I realized that there was like an action piece missing. So a lot of times when we're talking about marketing, it's we consume, consume, consume all this information, but actually taking action on it is really difficult. So I recently launched what I call mini marketing school, and it's just a, a subscription through my Instagram. So the people who are in the subscription side, we just take action on what we're talking about every week on the podcast. And then eventually, Eventually, I'm going to do a workshop on marketing through Unraveled, which I think will be really fun. And then I have a studio where I teach in-person classes. So that's pretty much the full scope of my marketing work. My goodness, you are busy. You are super busy. How do you stay straight with all of that? I am always been someone who loves a lot of things going on. I really like to always be working on things, and I definitely consider myself a workhorse. Um, and 
one of the reasons I really wanted to transition a little bit is as much as I love the adventure side of my business, I was spending so much time in the car. Um, And so I really had to take a look at that. My girls are 13 and 11. And the evenings is when they want to connect most with me. And so I was just absent. So that was a huge push of I'd rather do more work when they're in school and I can, I'm a really efficient person so I can have lots of things going on. But when I'm taking all my time in the car driving to sessions, that's when I realized that type of time I didn't want to give up as much. Okay. For our audience who doesn't know what your adventure sessions are, can you explain that a little bit? Sure. So um, where I live in Seattle, we kind of have we're surrounded by mountain ranges, um, and some of them are farther away than others. And uh, <laughs> so I started this idea. The, the foundation of that concept was to create basically like landscape art with your family in it so that when people hang art in their homes, it's of these majestic places up here in Washington State, and their family is also in the photo. And um, so I meet with clients. I travel to the mountains. I meet them up there. We do it. We do a session. And uh, yeah, it's been a really interesting niche. I've had people every year. I have people that fly in to do it. I book out those sessions in one day on my Black Friday sale. So it's become a definite backbone of my business, but I just, it's the time that's, that's tricky. So eventually I would love to do more of just that type of work, less local sessions, and then the marketing stuff for sure. Okay. Awesome. And you're talking about your daughters and you have two daughters, right? Yes. Yeah. And they're getting to be at that age where they want to be up all night talking to you when you're dead tired because I've been there. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That is when all of the tea, as the young people say, comes out. It's like post 7 p.m. They're like quiet, like waiting in the shadows and they emerge. (laughs) I know. And like you're trying to like draw them out. You're like, hey, honey, do you want to go get ice cream? Do you want to do this? Do you want to run errand with me? I'm going to go to Target. It'll be fun. And like, I don't want too. And then as soon as I get myself into bed, that's when they come in and like start talking and wanting to lay down next to me as if like, do you guys understand that I'm old and tired? Like <laughs> this is not right. the time to do it. But that's when teenagers want to talk. That's when they want your attention. And it is hard to have sessions at night, especially if you're driving. How many hours were you driving for those adventure sessions? So it's about two hours up mm-hmm. and then two hours back. So it's That's definitely a, a long trek. And a lot of times for the, for like in the summer, we'll get a place to stay and everyone will go. And those are, mm. those are really ideal, but, um, we can't always do that. And, and, uh, there's also like, we have the fire forest fires up here sometimes or weather reschedules. And so I have to be flexible. And the interesting thing about this work is that, you know, when I first started my girls, I think Bryn, my youngest was like eight months old. So she would be in bed by six and I'd have my evenings free. And when you're, when you're in that zone, you think it's never going to change. You think, okay, I have my set schedule. This is working really well. Mm-hmm. So being able to be f- flexible and transition is really good. And I don't think enough people are talking about this teenage phenomenon because I had no idea that these, you know, people would want to be talking to me at that time. And that (laughs) I'm glad that I just happened to slowly make this transition. Um, But yeah, it's definitely something where it needs to be flexible. And I know that a lot of photographers, so I run my business on one main emotion, which is resentment. And so if I feel myself feeling resentful going to a session, that is a very good indicator that something needs to 
shift within my business. And so I would love to invite all photographers to start tracking that. And the minute they feel that, like they're getting in their car to go to a session or they finished a session and they feel that like, like I'm just, something is off. I just hope more, especially female creatives would explore that and give themselves permission to adjust a little bit. I did that. I remember when you said that. It was a while ago when you talked about that. Mm-hmm. And I was. I had certain clients that I was like, they're just going to nickel and dime me. They're going to be late. You know, they're going to be upset with their photos. Why am I doing this? Or like a certain price point I was really unhappy with. It's like, this isn't worth it to me. This is making me unhappy. And it is a really interesting and fantastic way of looking at your business to change it for the better. Um yeah, I love that. That so simple. And you're the only person I've ever heard talk about that ever, this place of resentment, which is mm-hmm. just fantastic. It is. We don't need to like fall all over ourselves for our customers. Then we don't feel valued. And if we're not feeling valued and we're, when we're feeling resentful towards those people, then definitely something needs to change. Exactly. I mean, being an artist and doing that for work is already very, very tricky and emotional. Mm -hmm. And so if you're feeling underappreciated, that is just the absolute worst case Mm -hmm. scenario. It is. It's the worst. It's the absolute worst. So I changed things and I'm glad (laughs) I'm much happier now. Um, So why don't you tell, give us a little bit of your marketing school. Give us a little bit of tips for all of us creatives trying to navigate the social media, email marketing, websites, bios, all of, all the things. It's just so, 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 so much. So just a little bit of nuggets for us. What do you have? Okay, sure. So I definitely recommend breaking marketing up by season because I think Mm -hmm. it can be really, really overwhelming to look over your entire year and just be like, oh my gosh, somehow I have to fill all of this. So the first marketing strategy I did, like I mentioned before, was my Black Friday sale because I was feeling at the beginning of every year kind of insecure about the fact that I I just came off a super busy fall and then had no sessions really on the calendar for the upcoming year. So I felt this momentous amount of marketing work on my back. So I implemented a Black Friday sale where I book out majority of my adventure sessions on that day. And then the rest of my year, I break up seasonally and I kind of start marketing those seasons about three months before they begin. The biggest misconception that I see with marketing is that And this is true for many industries, but especially for photography, is that people think they'll post about something or talk about something one time, and that's enough to get people's interest. And it's just not true. Um, It may have been true in like 2015 when our attention spans were not one nanosecond, but unfortunately, (laughs) we have made our attention spans really small. So I teach all my students that you need to prepare to talk about what you are trying to book seven to 10 times, because that is how many times an average consumer will need to see it before they actually see it. So when you know that you have, for example, spring sessions coming up, you need to work backward enough in time to be able to talk about that upcoming session seven to 10 times. From that strategy, which could start, for example, on Instagram, you could then break those pieces down and repurpose them on Pinterest and your website or your email list. I recommend people choose about three marketing channels per season and stick with them. 
then you can gather the data about what worked and what didn't work when that season rolls around again. The other reason that you want to do it seasonally is we know as photographers, there's a very different clientele that tunes into your business each season. So oftentimes in fall, you have these people that are chasing the Christmas card photo, and they may need completely different messaging and booking strategies than the people who are looking for a springtime adventure session, for example. So when you break your your year up like that into manageable chunks, it all starts starts to become very clear about what you need to talk about, how often you need to talk about it, and where you should talk about it. Um, The biggest hurdle that photographers have when they start to implement marketing plans is that they judge the hell out of themselves. So they don't like their voice. They don't like the way they look. They don't think they're funny. So part of it is actually working on your own mindset and doing what I call a desensitization to yourself. So that's where you listen to your voice a lot. You record yourself and just play it back. You kind of break through that wall of feeling like you don't belong in these spaces to talk about what you have to offer. Once you can do that without judging yourself, everything opens up and you suddenly are free to market the way that you want to market. So if you're looking across a whole year, anyone listening here could think, oh yeah, I have these sessions I want to book for spring or these for summer or these for fall. And then you can just work backwards and create a marketing plan around each individual season. Yeah, that's it's kind of like a campaign in a way, but sim- more simplified and doable. I feel like campaigns, if you if the audience knows anything about campaigns, it's usually mostly done on Facebook. It's a lot. It's a lot to do like a full campaign, but this way it's much more manageable. It feels more personal too to do it by season um and just putting yourself out there. Something that I've, when I've started to do seasons work is you have to kind of plan quite a bit in advance. And we're just not like that as artists. We're like, oh, it's getting warm and there's like blossoms on the trees. I'm going to do spring sessions, you know? And then by then, you by the time you've marketed it, the blossoms are gone and it's a little bit too late. So thinking in advance, like a year in advance mm-hmm. to have the content for your spring sessions to be able to market for that and your summer and your fall and your winter. Cause I know you do like snow minis up in those mountains, which are gorgeous. And it seems like a long haul process, but then you can recycle it. It just gets recycled every year. Exactly. And it's also about being strategic with Mm -hmm. the sessions that you book. So I often see this where like someone will have a lull in kind of their Instagram engagement and they'll think like what I need right now for myself is a little boost, right? So they'll post a completely unrelated image, maybe like a really beautiful shot they did in fall, but it really, it may get a lot of likes and interest, but it's not actually have anything to do with what they're booking right now. So I'm a big fan of holding on to content and having it not be seen until you're ready to actually book that type of session. For example, for my snow minis, I was just cleaning up my desktop, which is a general disaster, but I was cleaning (laughs) up and noticing that I I like to make GIFs that I use in reels. So I had all these movement sections from snow minis that I had done this year, and I'm going to hold on to those. So I put them in a folder and I said 2024 snow minis. So then when I go to book snow minis, I have the content there. So I'm kind of helping myself for the next season or the next year. So that thing you brought up is really a brilliant idea of thinking, if there's a photographer right now who is not having the spring that they want to have, the answer there is not inaction, right? And that's often what we do. We sit back and we feel sad and we feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. It really has nothing to do with being good enough or not good enough. It's about strategy. So if you realize that you did not, you don't have 
any spring sessions booked, that's a perfect time to do something like a model call where you go to the place you actually want to do and you get those images, but then you're not showing them right now. You're not because it's too late. Like you said, the blooms have mm-hmm. bloomed. The time has passed. <laughs> yeah. Instead, you're holding on to that. And then when the beginning of the year rolls around and you want to book spring sessions, you have this beautiful piece, like bucket of imagery that you can showcase and use in your marketing. So once we start to think strategically, we can kind of remove the emotion from it. And it doesn't become about, is my artistry good or bad? It's about, is this strategy working? Let me look at the data. Yeah. So when you're talking about data, what do you mean? Where are you looking at data? So data, I mean, one of the things that people don't really understand about Instagram especially is, and all of these social media apps really, is how much data it's giving us about what people are actually looking at. So I loved to look back and at my previous spring, for example, and see what type of sessions did people connect with. So I did that this year and I realized that I have these wildflower sessions that I do on the eastern side of the state. And those are the things that got the most attention. So this year, that was my sole focus. I didn't go chasing the cherry blossoms and I wasn't trying to get up in the tulips. I was just focused on these sessions that resonate with people who like my work, right? So that is where I put my attention and focus. And then I'm not trying to market 10 different things. So the data that I pay attention to the most are shares and saves. So that's like when you look at Instagram, those are the two data points that I care a lot about. When I'm looking at stories, you can go into settings and you can see at what story people click back to watch it again. So those types of things where people are actually taking their fingers and liking moving around saving, those types of things are really valuable. I always like to remind photographers not to compare their data to other photographers' data, especially because unfortunately in our industry, we still have a lot of people who are buying likes, buying followers, they're in engagement pods. So when you're trying to, you're thinking, man, this person always gets 40 comments on their work. How do they get so much engagement? They may be doing something that's not actual I don't want to say real engagement, but you know what I'm saying. So it's eyes on your own paper, focused on your own data, and then you're using that data to make better marketing decisions in the future. And you just use that through the Instagram data like mm-hmm. stuff. You don't do anything. I mean, there's so many different like if you have posting apps and things like that, there's you know different data in there too, but you're just using the Instagram data and that's enough for for you to get the well, information I mean, you, you need. Look at, so like on Pinterest, for example, I'm a big proponent of Pinterest. I think it's completely underutilized by family photographers in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Pinterest, you know, Pinterest has a high degree of vanity metrics, right? Like on my Pinterest page, it's like, you have 100,000 viewers. I'm like, mm-hmm. sir, I know that that does not matter. So what I'm interested in though is what type of pins am I posting that are actually causing people to click away from Pinterest and over to my website. So then I can lean into that type of imagery. So it's those types of data points are so helpful and they're there for us. And oftentimes we're not looking at them. Instead, what we're doing is making the likes, comments, saves, shares that we do get mean something about our own work, which is the true trap. Because then you think, oh, well, I loved this session. I posted it. Nobody did anything with it. So it must be bad instead of trying it in a different way, posting it in stories, posting it another time. So you can mm-hmm. get that data to actually market ef- effectively instead of marketing emotionally. Yeah, that's a tough one. It's super hard because it's like artists, we're all just a little bit more emotional than the average Joe. Um, and it's a good thing for our art, but it's a hard thing for marketing. So yeah, so what you're saying is any sort of data that you're looking at, look at the actionable data, the action, the ones where your audience has taken action and then try to 
recreate or focus in on that, like changing up things so that you can create, like take action again and again. Yeah. I was like, it's really hard. Like data is a lot. Um, and it can be like, where am I supposed to focus this at? Like, um, how many times should I post it a day? And, um, how many reels am I supposed to do? But in real, in reality, if you look at the data, you don't have to kill yourself creating content so much, but make the content that is going to get people to take action. Right, exactly. If someone was looking for an overall strategy, what could work? You know, I focus on in some of my marketing education, these like four steps, right? So like the first step is you want to you want to inspire people to look into your brand, the right people. So that would mean that you're consistently posting similar type of imagery because what you want to avoid from a consumer standpoint is breaking trust. And this is true no matter what you're going to buy. Like if you're on Instagram and you see a really cute purse, for example, you're going to click through that brand. But if everything else on there seems completely random, you're not going to trust it. You're immediately going to leave. So it's the same thing on the consumer side. If someone has fallen in love with an image of yours, they immerse themselves in their into your brand and they see that you consistently are able to produce that type of work, then they're going to feel a higher, higher level of trust with you. Additionally, if you have already identified things like client pain points and created some educational content for them, like what to wear for spring sessions, how do I handle fussy kiddos, what time of day should we do our sessions, they're going to feel even more supported by that type of ed- educational content that you've put out there. And then if you are brave enough, which every photographer should get to the point, to having a very simple st- sales strategy that's basically just talking about what you're offering at this time, and they feel that sense of like, oh, I really want to get on this person's calendar, that's a perfect path. And unfortunately, we can break that path anywhere along the way by just being inconsistent, unhelpful, really hard to book. So if you're looking for something to do today, I would go through and make sure that wherever someone finds your brand, they find a very, very consistent, trustworthy portfolio. Once you are out of growth phase, you can expand on that and and take on more creative sessions and try more things because you already have a good foundation. But when people are trying to do too much in the beginning, they end up just causing a lot of confusion. So I really recommend solidly building a trustworthy brand in one niche and then expanding from there. Yeah, that's that's fantastic advice. Actually, this whole podcast has been a ton of information. And when you're reading, like listening to this, you can't do it in the car. You have to have notes so you can like write things down. That was, it's, it's very true. Um, I've noticed that photographers, when they first start, the ones who do the best are the ones who are consistent. Their, mm-hmm. their images are consistent. And that's really hard because as photographers, we want to like be creative and try new things because that's me. <laughs> I'm always wanting to try something new. And the one, you know, you you are, you're selling this brand and people want to get what they see. They right. don't want something totally different. If you hand them a gallery that's, you know, full sun, lots of colors when you, they expected to get backlit, glowy, you know, golden hour type of looks, like you have to be consistent as a giant, giant part of your brand doing well, for sure. 
Right. And once you've built that consistency, again, you can then go on and be more creative because you already have the trust, right? You can say, Mm -hmm. hey, I really want to try this conceptual shooter. Hey, meet me at this cool location. I really want to give this a go. And you'll have people who are ready to do it because they already have a high degree of trust in you. I like to think, I like to give people the opportunity to step into kind of like a marketing avatar where they're like, okay, when Mm -hmm. I go on and I'm marketing on Instagram, I'm this other person, like Beyonce and like Sasha Fierce. Like you can be this other person I love it. where you're just not emotional you're just a data scientist you're there to you're there to learn you're there to um, help your clients you're there to ask them what they're struggling with and then you can kind of go and if you need to get like a creativity out or whatever you can create projects on the side where you do that but if you are in growth phase so if you're not in growth phase if you're just a creative photographer this conversation doesn't apply right because if you're just wanting to create beautiful images you don't have to try to have a consistent brand but if you want to book out the sessions that you want to and you really want to make an income from this work then that is where the consistency piece comes in so if you need to put on your data scientist hat when you get on instagram so you're not emotional that's a wonderful place to start then you're just this person doing this work you're on instagram as a creator not a consumer so you're not going on there and scrolling and feeling bad about yourself and thinking oh shelly down the lane is so much more creative than i am you're there to market you're there to get data and then you leave the app and if you want to come back as a consumer you're in a totally different mindset that's fantastic advice easier said than done though for sure yes Totally. For sure, for everybody. Okay, well, our time is almost up, but I wanted to ask you, since this podcast is, you know, sponsored by Photo Native, the conference, educational conference for photographers, so I wanted to ask you, what has been your favorite educational experience and why? Hmm. Let's see. I I really love meeting other photographers in person. That's mm-hmm. really probably my favorite way. Um, I find it, when we're in a, a education setting like a like and people are photographing other people in a group i love to watch how other people do that work i always learn something i always pick up a tip so if there's an educational opportunity where i can be social with other photographers and watch them work that is my absolute favorite way to learn i love it yes i love that it is it's really interesting because everybody does it differently. Even though you might be in the same niche and you might be even in like the same type of look, everybody has their own different workflow and tricks and ways of doing things to create those images. And it is, it is very eye-opening and exciting to work with different photographers, especially those you've like mm-hmm. been friends with on Facebook for or Instagram, I mean, forever like this with you. It's so nice to meet you finally. Yes. Um, yeah, it's been great. Um, so where can our audience find you and get in, like, start working with that marketing plan with you? So the best place is the old Instagram. So I'm just yes. Fiona Margo on there. And there you'll find a link to the mini marketing school, which has a lot of actionable tips as well as my podcast. And then if you are in the Seattle area, I teach classes in my natural light studio where we sit down and we eat cookies and we do marketing work. And so it's pretty fun. So those are, those are the best places to find me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Fiona. I I loved having you. Thank you so much. You're a, like a wealth of wisdom. We could have been on here forever, but I don't want you to give away all your secrets today. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. It was, it was lovely to be here. Okay. Have a good one. Bye. You too. Bye.